Are you ready to make 2017 the year you transform your life? You can wait for something to happen, or you're actually going to decide to go, go home after this weekend to do something about that. We all know that we have a very, very limited amount of time on this earth. So let's not have repeated years. Live your own life. Make the choice, make the decision for your own life. Fear is where you develop courage. There's a moment going, holy crap, all right, I'm gonna do this now. The wellness breakthrough is coming. And so you actually have that choice every single morning, every single day, every single moment to decide whether you're gonna live it to the fullest or not. Join myself, Marcus Pierce, and the wellness guys, Damien Christoph, Lawrence Tam, and Brett Hill for two nights and three days of transformation at the country place. 10 acres of breathtaking rainforest in the Dandenong Ranges of Victoria, February 17th to 19th. It's each and every single one of you are gonna support each other in your journey, whatever that journey is. Couples discounts available, limited spots remaining for all information and to watch the spine chilling video, go to thewellnessbreakthrough.com. Thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your life. We've always taken mums the word to mean keeping things to ourselves. Well, this is no longer the case as we provide mums with the natural, honest, and reliable resources they need from experts and other mums to keep their families happy, healthy, and safe. Be prepared to use your passion for parenting to empower yourself with the knowledge of choice. Welcome to Mums the Word with your host, mum and chiropractor, Kaz Jaff. Hello everybody, it's episode 55 and this is Kaz Jaff recording from the very dark streets of Amsterdam. It is 5.56am and my kids are still asleep so that means that jet lag has passed, thank goodness. Um, just letting everybody know that I'm now living back in Amsterdam which is pretty exciting and I'm back practicing at Wellbeing Chiropractic which is the practice that I built from the ground up. So it's been pretty fun seeing all the faces that I love and um, been adjusting people this week and well it feels like I slipped on the glove actually but um, and I'm back uh, just feels normal like I never left but anyway um, I wanted to let you know that this episode is being recorded with a dear friend of mine. Uh, Dr. Alison Young and I were at university together, so this has been a pretty fun episode to record. She and I thought it would be pretty important to discuss um, comparison, and I guess uh, you all know what I'm talking about, comparison as us, of ourselves as mothers and also of how our children are doing with their milestones and things like that. So uh, this episode is called Beware of the Compare, and Dr. Alison Young um, is a chiropractor with a passion for serving children and mothers. She is very aware of the comparison epidemic that is gripping motherhood um, really across the world, but also in um, expat circles uh, around, and in Australia. And wants to encourage mums to not only trust their own intuition and surround themselves with quality healthcare providers, but to also nurture and support each other more. She runs a successful chiropractic pediatric education program called Innate Child, um, which is really aimed at chiropractors who want to see um, kids in their offices and uh, want to essentially have a family-focused uh, practice, which is exactly what I have. So that's why we have even more in common. And uh, well, the episode flowed super, super well and um, was really fun. So here she is. Enjoy the episode. Dr. Alison Young. 
Hey there, Dr. Ali. I am very excited to have you on Mums the Word. Please tell Hi. listeners a little bit about yourself. Hi. Um, so my name is Alison Young. I'm a chiropractor and I'm also a mum to two beautiful children and I'm currently living in South Korea with my husband for his work and our kids. <laughs> And I'm just going to set um, let everyone know that we actually know each other from our university days. So, um, yeah, it's really, really a thrill for me to have you on, Ali. So, let's get into the depth of this topic and I really want you to just, yeah, share your journey and tell us what got you into the work that you're doing. Yeah, thanks. So, um, when I graduated from Cairo School in 2002, I got a job in Perth, which was amazing. And I went in and I took um, over an associate position in a family practice. And when I left university, I'd seen more kids than most people did in their university days, but it still wasn't really that many. And it didn't prepare me for being in a family practice and seeing lots of families in the way that I did. And so after that first 12 months, I'd seen some special needs children and I felt like my knowledge base wasn't as great as it should have been. So I decided to start my master's in pediatric chiropractic care. And from there, I um, completed that and then started my own practice with my friend, um, Olivia in Perth. And we ended up having a practice that had um, probably 40 to 50% children and 10 to 20% pregnant mums and postpartum mums coming in and the rest were their supporting family members. So it was a really family-based practice. And I was in practice there until 2012 when we got married and we ended up having to move to Malaysia for my husband's work. So I was in Perth and then we went to Malaysia. And when we were moving to Malaysia, I had people contacting me saying, oh, how do I set up a practice for kids? What are the things I need to do? What do I need to learn? And from there, I started coaching and developing um practices and practitioners and CAs about how to help make their practice as friendly as possible for families and for kids. And specifically, I think special needs kids was an area that I went into quite a lot. Um, and so that continued on for the time. And in that time, I also became a mum. So I became a mum for the first time. And I was really working with these other chiros. And it was fantastic. And in that time, it solidified my vision that for me, I just wanted to give the opportunity for every child to have access to quality chiropractic pediatric care. And I knew that I couldn't do that by myself. And so that's why working with chiropractors to help upskill them and get them working better was just absolutely important to me. Yeah, it's also a nice thing to do while you're, I guess, with a little one. Yeah, exactly right. And it's something that I could organize to do when she was asleep or um, in the evenings when she was in bed for the day. And because my husband was at work six days a week and, you know, we were living in Malaysia, it was really hot. So we had to stay inside a lot with a newborn. So really, I had lots of time to devote to it at that stage, which was awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then from there, we moved back to Queensland. So I don't know what it is about the hot climates in this stage of our lives. But anyway, we Tropical moved back. Tropical and to- sticky. Yeah. So tropical and sticky. And I opened a little practice at home um, because I had a baby and I was pregnant again. And this practice was 100% children and pregnant women. And I and it stayed that way for the whole time that I had that practice in that town for a couple of years. And the thing that that highlighted to me is that that town always, it was, a, I think, a community of 50,000 and there was 10 other chiropractors in that community. And um, But it just highlighted the need again 
for that upskill level of pediatric care and also how much mums wanted to relate to another mum and how I think being a mum for them to come in and say oh this is not right or that's not right or I'm really confused I could sit down with them and talk to them not just from a clinician point of view but also from a mum point of view and that was really really important as well so um I totally get that I totally get that yeah yeah and I think that that's just part of the journey as a female chiropractor if you do choose to have a family where it goes naturally. Mm-hmm. And then from there, um, we've moved now to South Korea. So we've been here for just on 12 months. And um, so I'm back doing coaching, more coaching, and I've presented seminars in Perth this year to chiropractors and their staff about how to integrate families and children into your practice effectively whilst meeting making sure you do all of the requirements that you need to do to, you know, do it well and do it properly. And, um, and yeah, and just next year looking at doing more seminars and also speaking at the Kids Summit as well next year. So that's going to be really cool. And um, is it cold or warm in, North, in South Korea? Um, it's freezing. At- <laughs> that's what I thought. That's what I thought. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's so cold. It's like it takes me ten minutes to get out of the door. By the time you put socks, boots, jackets, beanies, scarves, and mittens, much like Amsterdam is at this time of year, I imagine. Correct, correct. Yeah. What I really love as well, though, with the little ones, is that you know we don't have that in Australia. It's just something so cute. Yeah, is the gloves on a string through the jacket? I don't know. For me, it's just yeah, it just sort of signifies it's a completely different lifestyle. I mean, we have gloves in Australia, but it's sort of not something you grow up with, and definitely not in Queensland anyway. But just uh, that whole how they tie the string on the gloves. I don't know. Do you do that in South Korea? Yeah, they do it, but my kids hate it, so I end up chopping off the string. They <laughs> um they really struggle with the string, so we have a bin full of strings at the moment because we just bought new gloves. So yes. Anyway, that's um, yeah, luxurious problem, I guess, we have. So yes. we, we wanted to talk about um, comparisons and it's a huge um, topic. So I'm going to let yeah. you take it away, but this is something yeah. we both feel is really important to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. I think having had my first child as an in Perth, but then immediately within two weeks was back in Malaysia as an expat, then having my second child in Australia and then when he was one and so my daughter was three, moving back expat again, I've really become nearly hyper aware of the mummy comparisons and how different cultures have different ideas about things. But also, if you're not hooked into a strong village, if you don't have a care provider that supports you rather than belittles you about choices and things, how it can become really hard to be a mum in this day and age and to feel like you're doing an awesome job. And like mum shaming is something that pops up now regularly. I see it in my Facebook feed all the time where um, people are complaining about mums not doing well or doing too well or that mum at school's too good at her job whereas she probably doesn't feel like she is at all. So it's a real comparison between each other. Um, so I thought that what I'd do is just quickly talk about those developmental things that a newborn has because when you're a first-time mum and you get and you've got a new baby, you're like, oh my gosh, what's going on? You know, they poop, they feed, they hopefully sleep a little bit, but they've also got these reflexes that they're born with that's designed to help them survive outside of the womb. And those reflexes are really important for the baby, but it's also quite important when they integrate or go away. So when that nerve system grows and develops. And 
It's this integration and then the development of new neurological signs that we start to see the biggest mum comparison occurring. Um, so things like does your baby startle at loud sounds and, or does your baby sleep with their head turned to the side? Um, do they grasp your finger? Do they suck well at the breast? So those element of things are, are reflexes that they're born with that they should do well. But if you ever go to a mum's group, you know, oh, my baby has to bottle feed because X, Y, and Z, or my baby's great on the left breast but not the right breast. And there's this whole conversation around what's happening and why it's happening. And if you don't have good support to explain that, that can be quite daunting as a mum, I think, as well. Um, and so what you need to do, I've found, is, you know, hook in with a village of mums, hook in um, and help yourself on that journey as a first-time mum because that first-time mum journey can be quite challenging as well. It's absolutely crucial. I mean, we've both been expat mums and I'm about to be one again. And if you don't have your family support network and you're almost new in a different culture, you, that's what you that's what you're going to need to survive. You know, yeah. and, and also it's almost like to, to be around people that are going through exactly what you're going through as well. It's just, it gives, it gives peace and it gives, um, comfort and understanding. And, you know, it gives that gentleness as well, which is exactly what we need. Um, and what we're talking about to be gentle with yeah. yourself and not compare to anyone else's situation. Exactly right. And don't beat up on yourself if your child wakes every two hours to feed, but the lady that you're sitting next to's baby sleeps from six to five or something like that, because every child is different. And I think, and every mum is different. And I think that, you know, that whole sleep thing is a huge factor, but it's, it's an element that I think can't be, um, not every child can be expected to do the same thing every time. And I think it's that that starts, I've seen over the years, has started a lot of the comparisons is, oh, your baby's sleeping and mine isn't, and it just starts from there. Your baby's sitting and mine isn't, mine's not yes. rolling over yet, mine's not yeah. crawling yet, yeah. Oh, yours is crawling funny, mine is crawling okay, or oh, what's wrong with your child, you know, that stuff. And even if they don't say it, they think it, and, yeah, it just starts that whole thing. And what <laughs> I've noticed, sorry to interrupt, what I've noticed totally pertinent to expat parents as well is when there's more than one language involved. I mean, for some families it's three if it's, you know, parents from different countries and then the country um, that they're living in is that obviously speech is a lot more harder to integrate um, for a child when there's more languages going in. So, you know, they're going to be a little bit slower to speak, even though they are definitely clued into what's going on. And I think that's something that just came up for me listening, you know, with both being expats that they will speak later. It's, it's yes. known. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I've got um, expat friends here that are speech pathologists and even their own children, if they've got a Korean babysitter or we've got friends whose children go to Korean daycares, so they're surrounded in their at-home language at home, and then the Korean language during the day, they're two years old and they're saying like their own version of Korean and English combined together rather than specific words. But the speech pathologists, my friends, are like, well, that's okay because they're surrounded in this bilingual environment. So it's a, just a matter of being aware as well that it is okay for things like that to happen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So we um, did you want to talk about the postural reflexes? or Yeah. yeah. So, so we're born with the primitive reflexes and um, there's even a reflex called the gallant reflex, which is my favourite one. And it's because if you've ever seen a water birth happen and 
obviously there's some amazing water birth videos out there. Um, but if you've seen a water birth, a baby can often be born and appear to be swimming. And it's that gallant reflex which does a lot of that because it's the stroking this by the sides of the lower back which causes the baby to have a pelvic wiggle or a swimming motion. So as they exit the vagina, you can actually see that happen through the water and I love it. And that reflex actually can exist up to four months normally. So you can give the baby a little rub up and down beside their low back and you can see that their legs or their pelvis has a little wiggle occurring. And that's one of my favorites. I but love again, it too, yeah. Yeah, it's so cool. Um, and there's this amazing video actually um, of, of Russian women birthing in the, oh, I can't remember Black the name. Sea. Yes, the Black Sea, and and you can see it on there time and time again. It's beautiful. Yeah. Um, and then the postural reflexes are the reflexes that the baby begins to develop as they integrate in their environment. So as their nerve system becomes aware of their environment and their brain starts to develop stronger ties with what's going on, and um, and so often the first one to develop is that they can hold their head, their chin to their chest when they go from a lying down and you use their hands to pull them up to a sitting position. And then they start to um, be able to lie on their stomach and lift their head up and look around at their environment a little bit. And, um, and then you can sit them up on their bottom and tip them sideways and they put their hands out to stop themselves falling over. So they're all reflexes that have to happen to lead towards things like good crawling and and walking and running and that element of things as well and um and they definitely happen at different time frames dependent on the developing child and the developing child's environment as well and that's where cultural differences can come into things as well i know some babies um, don't get really put down on the floor very much initially whereas we as chiropractors and children's chiropractors recommend um, some nice gentle tummy time and some movement right from an early age to just help stimulate that nerve system and that brain and the development of the um, little bubba as well. Yeah, I think it's Indonesia and so, or Bali where they don't put them down for the first year. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, I think it's and the Hindu culture in India, I think it's six months having been over there. I'm sure that they just hold them and tie them onto themselves for that first six months Yeah, as well. other cultures just carry them all the time and never put them down either, Yeah, as in, in a carrier on their back. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. Yep. For a different reason, I guess. They're just working and, you know, yeah. need, need their hands, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have actually got a tummy time um, episode book because it's a, you know, it needs it needs a whole episode anyway. But um, yeah, it's definitely um, a topic that yeah, needs the attention because it is so, so important. And you and I both would say, you know, the arguments that, oh, it's, you know, they'll, they'll end up doing it on their own or, you know, it's okay if they you know, walk before they crawl or they don't crawl at all. And we're just like, oh, that's like, I don't know. And like then, I, start, it's like, I start getting a bit of a panic attack raising, you know, yeah. <laughs> anxiety in, in my chest. Yeah. 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 And, and whilst definitely children need to learn to develop, like they develop at their own speed, but there are normals within that development. And so it's normal that they can hold their chin to their chest within a couple of months when they come to that sitting position and they can push up on their hands, like lie on their tummy and use their hands to push up and look around because that's also development of the correct curves in the spine um, and it's indicating that they're getting some good uh, feedback from their muscles and that proprioception, which are those um, touch and movement sensors are starting to kick in in their muscles, which will help develop later on and then of course you have to have that tummy time to get crawling and crawling links the left and right sides of the brain together really well and really strongly 
Um, so it's really important. And even working with children that um, have issues with writing and things like that, we sometimes find that going back and getting them to do exercises at home of crawling and, and stuff that's called brain gym, which I'm sure you've heard of, mm-hmm. um, can actually help to reintegrate that cross-patterning, that left-to-right side of the brain talking. So that crawling is important, we could suppose, from that for later on in life as well. I mean, the the unraveling of the nervous system, I mean, it's just so beautiful and how it's, I mean, obviously, it just the, the design of the body, even just for gaze and, you know, obviously yeah i mean there's so much the more you get into it you just realize that it's just the design is so fantastic yep absolutely and even that the baby is born with the ability to gaze at the mother from breast height pretty much to eyeball distance like that's what they're born with so they're born with the ability to stare into their mum's eyes like who thought of that it's beautiful this is what i'm alluding to yeah it's it's magical so amazing yep yeah yeah, I'm really excited for the the mums who are pregnant listening to this. If they are on this episode already, they're probably not because there's so many other ones about birthing and um, to listen to. But if they are, yeah, just that just that magnificence of the body of the newborn or the design. Yeah, and just that the newborn baby is so innately driven to um, look for the breast and look for the nipple and to attempt to breastfeed by themselves and that whole um, development and that ability if you leave them um, straight from birth that they will find it by themselves. You don't have to force them onto that um, nipple and that can help to drive a really successful breastfeeding pattern as well. Like that whole level of primitive reflex and that's that rooting and sucking ability of the primitive reflex that that drives that and it's really important also. Yeah, and I think it comes back to just allowing things um, to happen in their own time, like to let the baby find the breast, to let the baby latch and not to try to force it. It's almost like birth as well and um, parenting in itself, like let them stumble, let them fall. That's how they learn. Exactly right, exactly right. And let them practice that climbing and and let them, you know, be there so they don't hurt themselves but let them have a little slip so that their body knows what that feels like and they're aware of it and their brain can go, oh, that wasn't the outcome we wanted and they can go again after that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I think it's um, really nice watching how children, when they learn to walk, how they fall and just get straight back up again. It's a lesson for all of us adults as well not to give up. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so um, in terms of uh, things for parents to be aware of um, when they maybe should take action, that maybe it's more than um, just, you know, time? Yeah, so I, I think one of the biggest things that I've noticed in practice with working with really young babies is what might be called low tone where the baby doesn't move as expected so they dislike tummy time and they don't want to be on their stomach because they can't lift their head and turn it from side to side and you ex- would expect them to be able to do that within eight to ten weeks um, and and also that they're very floppy in your arms, that you can't lift them underneath their shoulders and they provide a downward support against your hands. So those indicators tell me that you would want to go and get an assessment to make sure that things are okay and that they're within normal limits still. Um, and then from there that um, they're developing and, and doing some – I hate the word normal, but doing some of those like rolling abilities and trying to sit up by themselves and that element of things. But again, it's normal to sit for a child by seven months. And my daughter, she didn't sit until eight months by herself, but she was also crawling on the exact day she sat, she was crawling perfectly. So, I mean, they all do it in their own time 
and there should be a natural progression, but some of them will do it a little bit different as well. But yeah, you don't I guess if you're seeing, I guess if you're seeing um, gradual improvement as opposed to nothing happening would also be a sign. I mean, I also, I mean, children of chiropractors, I guess, get really, I guess, <laughs> under the magnifying glass and scrutinized. And we had a chat um, in the pre-chat about certain things that I think it's almost like when you're a chiropractic student, you do pathology, suddenly you've got all these cancers because you've got bloating or, or you, you know, had a yeah. you know, different experience on the loo last night and you've just gone and yeah. thought way too much about it. But I think same thing, my son wasn't sitting at six months and he was fine, but he just had such a big gut and he was, you know, 10 kilos at six months, you know, four kilos at birth. Yeah. I mean, the, the kid needed so much strength to hold himself upright. It wasn't that he didn't have the um, the tone or extensor tone, but just generally like he needed way more because he was huge and uh, yeah. even just someone else pointing that out to me because it's so – sometimes you just don't see it because it's right in front of you and, you know, obviously yeah. no issues. But, yeah, we, we had a little chat um, beforehand about how our kids really get under the magnifying glass. Yeah, absolutely. And like we took our daughter back to Malaysia when she was just over two weeks old to live. And so she had assessments done, like those birth assessments done by pediatricians and stuff because we'd ended up having to have a birth that was completely different to what we'd envisaged. That's a whole nother story. But, um, and she, and, and then at four months old, I was, I was drying her and I was like, I think she's got a clicky hip. And I checked it and I checked it again. And I was like, holy moly, she actually really does have a clicky hip. How could this have been missed? But of course, she'd not had any follow up checkups by any healthcare professionals except for me. And when it's your own child, you're like, oh, no, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Or you're over vigilant. Well, I was a little bit on the, oh, she'll be fine. Anyway. We went and got assessments done and um, and sent the films back to Australia. Luckily, my mum's a radiographer, so she showed the radiologists what we'd found and combined with the information. And I said, in Australia, you wouldn't do anything about that. In Malaysia, they braced her. And so we left the brace on for eight weeks and by that time it had gone away to like sitting perfectly but there was still a functional click but it wasn't a clicky hip, wasn't a dysplastic hip, yeah. But still she's nearly four and she still sometimes her, her joints will click. And then my mum pipes up after all of this and says, you know that you were exactly the same. I was like, oh, thanks, mum. <laughs> <laughs> Would have loved that information beforehand. <laughs> Yeah, but it just highlights like you and the guilt that you go through as a mum because we all have great days where we think we're totally on top of everything and then we all have days where nothing goes right and you feel like you're a total failure. Well, that was my 100% total failure moment where I thought that I should have picked this up and what's wrong with me and I'm a terrible mother and I'm a terrible chiropractor and yada, yada, yada. Um, but looking back, you know, there's a confluence of events that have had led to that happening. So, um, and I think you have to be a chiropractor to have that experience. Every mum has that. Every mum has the time where their kid slips on a playground and breaks their collarbone. Oh, I should have been beside them or that shouldn't have happened or this shouldn't have happened or, you know, they get, uh, uh, you, you know what I'm trying to say. They have things happen and they beat themselves up and really they don't need to. It's just part of the mum journey as well. With so much great information provided on each episode, we've created an easy way for you to stay up to date on keeping your family happy, healthy, and safe. For exclusive content, as well as show notes, links for everything we discuss on the episode, as well as a free newsletter to help keep you informed, visit mumsthewordpodcast.com. I'm slightly grateful that all my son's scars and 
big sort of accidents that have happened have always happened at the daycare. It's like, oh, that always happens when I'm not around. But it's also like I think on the other level is that I just, you know, to see him, you know, in that sort of frantic state when he's, you know, cut his knee or face or whatever, I'm glad I wasn't there too, you know. Yeah, yeah. I know my daughter when she was, would have been about 18 months old, she just walked though at daycare and digging in a, someone was digging in the sand pit and she walked behind this person as they flung the shovel over the shoulder, over their shoulder and the shovel hit her in the face. And still to this day, so it's over two years later, she has a little scar on her face from it. And I was like, oh, the poor thing. And everyone was like, she won't need stitches. She won't need stitches. And she, I don't think she did. But, you know, you're like, oh, I'm thankful that I wasn't in control of that situation because I would have felt so much worse. (laughs) Totally, totally. Yeah, Yeah, and I think think that sort of brings it back to like almost that self-judgment as well. Like, you know, this comparison that we do, we also do it, you know, it's also something that we're sort of doing to ourselves in a way. Like I know we sort of talked about not comparing or judging, but in a way I think being in a peer group situation as a chiropractor, we're so tough on ourselves. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And and there's no tougher critic than yourself. And I think that the hardest thing with this comparison between mums is that you're watching a mum, you know, another mum who's probably putting on her best face that she possibly can for that one hour where you're all together hanging out with each other. And you're like, oh my gosh, she's totally got it together. And look at her kid. They're rolling. They're putting food in their mouth themselves. They're doing amazingly well. And my kid's sitting here like a sloth going, mum, give me some food, you know. And so you just and has no clean clothes and their kid's immaculate. You know, it's all those things and it's your own perception doing it, whereas it's better, you know, it's hard to get out of that mindset sometimes when you're a mum, but you really need to give yourself a break. I think Absolutely. you just need to swim your own race as well, right? Absolutely, yes. You don't want to get caught up in the they're like this and I'm like this. You just need to do it as as your journey progresses. Yeah, you're learning the lessons that you need to learn and, and yeah. so are they, I guess. Yeah, exactly right, exactly right. Yeah, yeah. So um, I'm sure you have an affirmation or a quote or something um, in this sort of realm that uh, you'd love to share. Yeah, and my favourite one comes from Oscar Wilde and it's Be Yourself, Everybody Else Is Taken. And this, before I had kids and, and still to this day, I'm quite an outgoing personality and people always said, oh, you're always how you are. And then I think when you have, and so this quote has just always been, yes, absolutely, 100% agree with that. And then when you become a mum, you sort of nearly lose yourself a little bit to being a mum and but you need to remember that you're helping your kids by you being yourself as well um, and by you just developing yourself through your journey and learning your mumness. Um, so I think that this quote still to this day continues to resonate with me on a really strong level. Yeah, for this, fact, topic, it, for this topic it's like so pertinent, like yeah, it's, it's yep. really congruent. Yeah. yeah, Actually on my kitchen wall and I look at it every day. I love it. No, it's good. It's good. Yeah. Um, especially yeah. in an expat situation where everyone's from all different cultures as well, which is, is yeah. you know, it's, yeah, it's it's a blessing, but it can be a curse on the other levels too. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. So um, as you know, because you're a listener of the, of the podcast, um, we just sort of try to create almost like an online support community. Like you said, it takes a village to raise a child. So yeah. we'd love to hear from you. Um yeah, a time that was maybe not so easy that you'd love to share um, with the audience, whether it was personally, professionally, and, and I guess how you got out of it or what you learned so that we can yeah. uh, not reinvent the wheel. Yeah, so I guess the hardest time for me 
as an expat mum was definitely um, when Tilly had the clicky hips. So I was relying on the village of the expat mums around me about where do I go, where do I take my child now that I think that I've found something. Um, and in Malaysia, English is definitely well more spoken than it is than it is here in Korea. So I was lucky in that regard. So I could go and speak to a health professional. So I found out where I needed to go and then I used my resources in Australia, my own mum and the people that she knew and also my chiropractic village and I sent films to them as well and I got all these different opinions and then sort of took it all on board and came up with a plan. And that's where I learnt the most about, I think, the importance of not trying to do everything yourself and that's something that I've often fallen prey to trying to do too much and um and how it was really important to outsource a lot of that and to decrease my stress levels so that that didn't play through to her on many levels um but including through my breast milk and the hormone release of the stress hormones on that level also was something I was quite aware of because she wasn't a great sleeper and things like that. So I didn't want to amp that up anymore. Yeah, you don't want to be stressed out and her picking up on uh, the vibe. Exactly. Would be right. stressful enough settling into a new community and, you know, being a new mum with, yeah, no no family help, I guess. So yeah. if, if you weren't you, would that have been missed? Uh, I think it might have been. Um, because there were no checkups over there. Like there. So it would have been whenever we visited Australia, I would take her for a checkup, but we weren't coming home every time my husband had a break from work. We were going on holidays and doing awesome stuff like that. So um, it would have maybe been six to nine months old before it got picked up rather than three to four months old when it did. And by then, you know, it may have worsened, it may have resolved by itself, who knows, but I'm glad that it got picked up when it did. Yeah, totally, totally. So I'd love you to go back in time now to your um, pregnant self with Tilly. And, yeah. and with all the wisdom that you have now, what would you tell yourself? What would you tell yourself as a word of advice or share with the new mums now that are listening on the podcast that or mums-to-be? Yeah, I would just say relax. <laughs> I think I put so much pressure on myself having by then I'd been in practice for nine or ten years working predominantly with mums and kids. So there was an expectation that I felt on myself that I should know everything. Like there shouldn't be anything that happens that surprises me and that is bulldust. Like that is so not true. And I think that going in with your eyes open going, you know, this is, you know, what am I going to learn today I think was the biggest key. What am I going to learn today that's going to help me, that's going to help her, that's going to help our family um, and, and being open to learning stuff and not pushing back against it because I felt like, I should have already been aware of that. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. I just need to, for the people that are living in other countries, she said bulldust. So what that means <laughs> is um, that's a load of crap. Yeah. yeah. I think that's probably a more universal way to say that. Yeah. And, I, and I think I know that whole feeling. I mean, I, I think second pregnancy baby um, was either breach or transverse. Like, what? I'm that pregnancy chiropractor and I do Webster and I know how to get babies, you know, right? Yeah. And um yeah. And I've got now this baby that's not head down and, and also, yeah, same thing. Like we meant to know everything and that performance anxiety yeah. also going into a second birth where I had this perfect water birth, you know, as like second time yeah. around, it's like, oh my God, how do I repeat that again? Cause it's like, it's, it, how could it be better? It's like, yeah. you know, it's like, I, I know that, I know that feeling. And I think as well, it's like, yeah, we are learning our lessons as we need to learn oh, them. 
Absolutely. And every mum learns their lessons as they need to learn them. Like they're gifted with the child that they need to have. I look at my best friend and she was gifted triplets when she thought she was pregnant with one child and she didn't find out she had triplets till 19 weeks. And so the journey that she went on, she's also a chiropractor, the journey that she went on was just astounding even before the birth, but then learning how to fight for her birthrights and and that element of things as well. And her boys are nine now. So I had watched this happen and so you know you come from watching a really strong woman do something like that and then you 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 go through it so you're like yes I'm going to be really strong about things too but your journey is completely different to that person like to her journey if that makes sense oh yeah I'm kind of grateful I don't have triplets that's for sure yeah (laughs) (laughs) but how much do you realize like it's like the veil is lifted, I think, you know, once you become a mum, you just think, oh, my God, mum, you were amazing. How did you do it? Like it's just, yep. yeah, you really have a higher sense of um, gratitude and appreciation, you know, for your parents. Yeah, for sure. you like, yeah, you, you go, how did you do that and how did you, like for my mum, how did you go back to, you know, working so much and how did you guys have a farm? Like how did you do all of these things and raise us to be such awesome humans? Well, that's what, you know, my brother and I think anyway. <laughs> In your humble opinion, which you are, <laughs> by the way. I'll, I'll attest to that. So um, what's some of the best advice you've ever received either in um, this realm of parenting or, or birthing or what you want to share? I think um, – for birthing, my I had a doula in my first birth, and I also had my friend with the triplets as well as my husband, and um, and I think like just you know being present at that time and trying not to overthink things. And it took me till my second birth to get there. My first birth, I definitely wasn't in the headspace that was conducive to the great birth that I'd envisaged having. So for me, that was a big learning journey. And so my best advice was to just just go with it and prepare, but try to take yourself out of that at the time that it needs to happen. Yeah, and so then I'm going to go this- a little bit deeper there because I think this could yeah. be really, like this is a really important topic. Yep. You know, you had it all in theory first time yes. and you were like, I know I need to let go. Yep. And then you obviously had an experience. Of, There's got to be a shift somewhere or a learning curve that you then can do it the second time. I want you to share that so we can leverage off your learning there. And also you, you need to talk a little bit more if you can for the listeners for that, for all of our benefit what letting go really entailed yeah so um so the first time my water's broken nothing happened for two days and in that two days we tried everything like we had acupuncture we had the doula doing her thing we were using oils we were going for walks we were doing my um, hypnobirthing meditations like you name it we ticked the box of the things that we were supposed to do having sex having yeah yeah people stimulate this is for the listeners benefit by the way yeah yeah, yeah. And then um, so we ended up having to um, be induced in hospital, um, ended up having an epidural and birthing um, with the forceps with the threat of Caesar if this doesn't work. So it was a completely different birth to everything I envisaged. Yeah. So the second pregnancy comes around and I was like, hell to the no. And so I knew that I had to um, – and I knew it was I was too much in my brain. And my doula and I, we really spoke about that afterwards. And she's like, you just you were too connected on that conscious level. You didn't connect with your subconscious self as well as you could have. And I was like, yeah, I can I can get that. And so the next time, I didn't do as much. I didn't do as much preparation to prepare. I just basically 
listen to my hypnobirthing tracks at appropriate times, which with a toddler wasn't as much as I had hoped. And I, um, I was very strong about the birth plan that I wanted to have. And on the day of the birth, I just just put my headphones in and I just, my contractions were only ever seven minutes close together. Like they were really far apart. And people kept telling me, oh, you, you know, your contractions aren't far and close enough together. This isn't going well. And I just put my headphones in and ignore them and keep walking and let my husband deal with that. And, um, and then within, and I got the chat from the obstetrician saying, hey, you know, you've got to have this baby in the next, you know, I got the time frame talk. Mm. And I was like, hey, that's not happening. And I just went for it. Like my body was ready and I knew and I'd felt by then that my body was ready. And, and it was just a matter of going, yeah, no, I don't, I, I can't say exactly Kaz, but I think it was just, I knew that I was ready and I just didn't try and stop myself. I just did what primarily I felt I needed to do. That's and what I that, think it is. I think it's that getting yeah. out of the um, the thinking brain and I guess you and I yeah. are very science-based and we know a lot about this whole world and getting into primal. Yeah, exactly. And it was just embracing that primal self that really got, got us over the line when we had George and it was great. It was really good birth. Because I think same set of similar-ish story, you know, first time I had a, you know, 12 days overdue baby and, you know, parents visiting from Australia that had been there for almost three weeks, where's this baby? We're about to head back now, (laughs) you know, because I was almost two weeks um, late too. So I was like, okay, let's come a week before and two weeks after the due date, the baby, you know, we've got to kind of cover our bases when you're booking flights and hotels. And 12 days later, it's like no baby and I'm feeling fine. But of course, all these protocols and this whole system is working against you and you're sort of pretty much told by your midwife, well, you know, after this date, I can't take responsibility for you. And it's like, oh, okay, what does that mean? So I think the step between that stress was me having a massive connection with the baby. Went upstairs, I had a massive cry. Yeah, I kind of let go, and I think that's that same thing—that primal emotion. You're just trying to hold yep. it all together so much, and yep. you know the body knows what it's doing when you just give over to that and trust in that. And you know, I've and said it many ha- times on the podcast: we vomited for the first time and we didn't think about it. We pooed for the first time and we didn't think about it. All these ejection reflexes yep. are there in us, um, yep. and it's when we try and stop it and you know think about it, control it, whatever. And it's this—it's exactly what you're saying: the getting primal. Um, I think it's interesting that you didn't have um, contractions closer together. I mean, did they get closer together? Yeah, at the end. But it was um, from, I think, for the last hour and a half. So, so yeah, yeah, quick in the end. So I was in labor with seven-minute contractions pretty much from like 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. And literally going outside and walking stairs to try and bring them closer together and then just sitting down with my headphones in and having a little bit to eat, you know, just taking it easy. And then it was an hour and a half from where to go. But by then I'd had the chat like, you know, and I had a bit of a cry. So I'd felt like they'd got a bit stronger. I had the obstetrician said, you've got a time frame now. And then I had a massive, like you said, an emotional release. And then he was born an hour to an hour and a half later. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. get her on the podcast because her name's mentioned many times, but Sarah Buckley talks also about um, oxytocin receptors yes. and, you know, the, the actual, they're, they're, they're being primed and they're getting ready. So if, if a baby's born before it's ready, then the chances of connection and bonding and feeding and all the things that we know oxytocin does so well and that high that you get when the baby's born, you may not get you know, what you could have got. So I think it's exactly. that same thing. Trust in the timing of birth. It, it knows what it's doing, you know. Mother Nature knows right. best. 
yes, Mother Nature always knows best. You've really got to let just let her do its thing. Yeah, and thanks for sharing that because yep. um, oh, I think okay. for the benefit of the listeners, you know, that whole, you know, someone can say let go, but what does that mean? And for me, like yeah. massive cry, you too, or just putting yeah. on going somewhere else on another level. I mean, the hypnobirthing, it's a hypnotic state, right? It's a deep meditation. Yeah. So, yep. Absolutely, absolutely. And that worked really well for me, like really well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so um, maybe you could share some resources that have helped you along your way for the listeners. Yeah. So um, my hypnobirthing book and my instructor um, was actually a lady called Gabrielle Target and she's based in Fremantle in WA Mm -hmm. and um, she's got a book called A Labour of Love and it is a great book, a phenomenal book and it um, and she's also got CD resources and stuff you can download off iTunes or hypnobirthing traps and things. Mm-hmm. And that's, that was a really great resource for me preparing myself for delivery. Um, and then, um, as a chiropractor, a book I always recommend to my patients and I've read cover to cover a number of times as well, Adjusted Babies by Jen, um, Baron Floriani. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that I really like to, get um to tell my parents is if you are concerned seek out a qualified health professional like and you know if you can find one that's a mum who you can connect with on that mum level too because that's always great but you know you're finding some resources to support yourself in your local community I think because I worked in a regional area um the maternal child health nurses filled that gap for a lot of people but then people would sometimes Skype consult um, at the hospital if they were really concerned. We're talking about serious things here. Mm-hmm. But, you know, developing that and finding someone in your community who you can connect with on that level. But, yeah, that Well-Adjusted Babies and A Labour of Love were the two books that I would definitely recommend. And then I also mentioned before that birthing um, DVD, The Water Birthing, and I cannot remember the name of it. but It's, it's called right. Birth As We Know It. and um, That's it. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. yeah. We mentioned it on um, – Oh, I'm trying to think of the the lady who does it. Um, the Russian lady has a whole program, and we've done an yep. episode. But I've got, yeah, it's birth as we know it. Um, yep. You can definitely YouTube that for sure. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's brilliant. And I must admit that I did watch quite a few really positive YouTube videos as well in my birth preparations both times, just to really. I don't know, I just like to surround myself in that whole oxytocin love bubble that birth is magical, and I truly believe that. And for me, there's also another one where you get the twin home birth um, and one of them is a footling breach and that is a beautiful um, YouTube as well when you get it. There's two different options, but you've got to find the one with the nice music versus the dramatic noises behind it. Yeah, that's definitely <laughs> I, on Genie Ohm's Making a Miracle yeah. DVD, but I'm not sure if it's what it is on YouTube. But I think um, you almost need to see it in your mind's eye to believe it. So I think that's where the, the – and we're very visual kind of people. That's where the um, YouTube videos can really help too. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. And I'm a strongly visual learner. So for me, that vision is really vital. Yeah, it goes in. Well, yeah. thanks for sharing. Um, this has been awesome. I'd love you to share just for the guests how they can best get in touch with you, find out more about what you do, um, yep. anything you want to share with us um, worldwide, um, worldwide yep. web, then go for it. Well, I'm um, predominantly at the moment, I'm educating chiropractors. So my website is geared towards that and that's innatechild.com.au. Um, and you can find me on Facebook as The Innate Child. And on there, I share information for chiropractors, but I will quite frequently share resources that parents can use too. Like this morning, I found an amazing video on helping children with um, pen grip develop that. So I will share that through my The Innate Child Facebook 
Facebook page. So definitely go, get on and like that. I'm on Insta as the innate child as well. And, um, but if anyone really has a desire to connect with me, email is probably definitely the best way, which is Alison, A-L-I-S-O-N at innatechild.com.au. And, um, and I'll get back to you ASAP. And I'll definitely put all this in the show notes as well. So, um, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So, um, who would have thought that me being your mentor when you were in first year and I was in second year and giving you all those notes, I know those beautiful diagrams of anatomy that I was way too anal about doing way oh, back then. So you know, lovely. I'm pretty sure they got passed around after that, that we would end yeah. up on a podcast together as mums, as pediatric chiropractors going and doing this like who would have thought back then it's been an absolute thrill having you on um i miss you a lot and i wish we were practicing in the same country but this will this will do for now do for now yes absolutely thank you so much for having me kaz it's been a blessing and um i love i it just fills me with such joy having uh, you know helping mums and hopefully helping chiros as well to really connect with their communities and helping mums to connect with themselves and their children as well and and just having the option to be their best selves, absolutely. Yeah, definitely um, from the same cloth. So thanks for your yeah. time and, um, yeah, we'll be in touch. Okay, thanks, Kaz. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Mums the Word. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes and join us on our Facebook page to help us share the message to more mums all over the world. We look forward to having you join us again next time here on your trusted source for all mums everywhere, Mums the Word. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.